You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. show was produced on the lands of the Kulin Nation. I want to pay my respect to their elders past and present and acknowledge this land has never been ceded. This land is stolen land, which was forcibly taken from Aboriginal people. Colonisation is ongoing. Its impacts are still very much felt day to day in this country. We stand alongside Aboriginal people in their fight for land and justice. Hello everyone and welcome to Stick Together, your weekly show bringing you union, news, workers' issues and social justice from across the globe, globe, all across the country via your community radio. I'm your host this week, James Brennan. Thank you for tuning in. On this week's episode, we're going to hear some excerpts from a book launch that took place in Melbourne at the John Curtin Hotel. The launch of the book, Knocking the Top Off, A People's History of Alcohol in Australia. This book was edited by Alex Etling and Ian McIntyre. We're going to hear from both of those. Uh, We're also going to hear from Jeff Sparrow, who is one of the contributors to the book. Uh, The book, you know, it's available online. Um, Lots of great book shops and other outlets across Melbourne. Uh, if you're listening interstate and you don't have it available near you, you can request it in your local bookshop or library or indeed purchase it online. It's a great book. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great tales that kind of talk about some of the intersection of alcohol, I, you know, in a positive way and, and in a negative way as well, which is something that Jeff really gets into uh, when he speaks as well, talking about the way that alcohol is used, uh, you know, to quell the working class, but also as a means for the working class to escape some of the issues and parts of capitalism that, you know, maybe make the day-to-day a little bit more bearable for some. I hope you enjoy this, and we're going to bring you a little bit more from uh, Ian and Alex uh, a little bit later on Stick Together as well. It's going to 
have a bit of an extended chat to them about this book as well. Hope you enjoy it and I'll talk to you at the end of the show. I'm going to talk a bit about how the book came about and the sort of journey uh, to how we arrived here today. So I first met Alex during Occupy Melbourne uh, in 2011, for those who are trying to remember exactly when that happened. And uh, I was part of the kids and carers group at that time and we held a thing called the Dare to Share Teddy Bears Picnic in the Treasury Gardens. And that was to protest against the $481 million in education cuts that were happening that year. So as part of that protest, a sort of bunch of us um, kids and carers uh, occupied the lobbies of various government buildings that, that were near Parliament. We sang a teddy bears uh, picnic protest song and I've actually spotted uh, quite a few people here today who were on that protest. And uh, we, uh, we asked to speak to Ted Bailey, so you know, we were definitely uh, being very clever there. Of course, um, Ted didn't appear. Uh, and we also presented the, um, the government with a novelty-sized report card, which of course failed them you know, on just about everything. Uh, so the last place we visited was the Department of Education Office of uh, Childcare and Early Childhood. And, a childcare program called Take a Break had just been um, cut for funding. And we sort of came out of the lift and then we came out and we sort of realised we were in a space about... But luckily, some public servants holding coffees came through and opened the door at that moment. And then they realised, oh, there's all these protesters there. And they tried to show, close the door very quickly, but Alex got in there and they weren't able to close the door. And so we pulled off our third occupation that day. So that's how I made my acquaintance with Alex. So then in the years after that, we kind of saw each other around the traps, but it was about five years ago, um, there was a symposium at Melbourne Uni on 1968, and I think Bernie Taft. And in between sessions, we got yakking and discovered that not only did we sort of have a lot of mutual research interests, but I, I think we sort of had a similar kind of sense of humour. So among other things that Alex was working on at the time, he was kind of hoovering up uh, anything he could find about the left, anti-oppression struggles and Australian rules football. And so I, I had some stories to share <laughs> of my own to do with footy fans against mass murder and other things I'd been involved in. And um, yeah, we kept the con conversation going and over time we sort of tossed around different ideas for how we might... Um, collaborate. Now, I've always sort of gravitated towards sort of politics and types of action that are kind of humorous and confrontational and kind of demonstrate cheekiness and a certain wiliness. That's, that's kind of my thing. And, and that kind of stuff is sorely needed in movements where you have to persevere against great odds. So it's a bit hazy um, exactly how we landed on alcohol, but I think maybe we were... <laughs> you know, particularly as I'm not a drinker. Um, but I think in our sort of conversations, you know, various stories came up about benefit gigs, brewery strikes, um, pub boycotts, desegregation protests and that sort of thing. And we sort of thought, you know, like alcohol could be a really good way to kind of hinge uh, a project about Australian history. Um, so... We, may, uh, we kind of stoked up each other's enthusiasm. We made a list of topics and people to approach and started reaching out. Now, 
at the time, I was kind of personally interested in this phenomenon of beer strikes. Now, when I say beer strikes, other than those of you who are at my Labor History Conference talk a few years ago, you're probably thinking of, you know, strikes by people who worked in breweries. But these were actually, the beer strikes I, I, I'm talking about were organised boycotts of pubs. So over the years, I, I've compiled a lot of dates in Australian radical history. Um, firstly, for the 3CR Seeds of Dissent calendar, then for a 3CR sort of radical diary, which was a fundraiser, and then more recently for the Common Social Change Library. And you can find posts that I do on our Facebook page. So there's a plug for the Commons. Um, and in the process of doing those, I, I kept coming across these beer strikes, and they're often quite isolated towns that I'd never heard of. Now, apologies, some of you may be quite familiar with these towns, but some of the sort of far-flung places that I'd find these pub boycotts, and we're talking in the sort of first half of the 20th century, so sort of 1900 to about 1950. So there were, there were these boycotts that often involved the whole town, certainly dominated the local town's life in places like Pigwell, Iron Knob, Kukinai, Hummocks Hill, Rocky Lead, Cressy and Bullfinch. So not places I'd heard of, certainly not places that I associated with kind of political action. So um, generally these beer strikes um, were about prices and as a form of consumer activism, alcohol and the pricing of alcohol basically was one of the main issues in terms of grassroots action in that first half of the 20th century. So for various reasons, which you can discover in the book, uh, those kind of campaigns didn't happen so much around sort of food, for instance. Um, but at other times, the boycotts of pubs were very much around working conditions. And this was particularly for women. And it was at a time when largely under the influence of the temperance movement, but also due to other reasons, women had either been um, banned or kind of shamed out of drinking, particularly in uh, drinking in pubs, particularly in public bars. Um, and that's another set of processes that I kind of learned about through doing the book and through contributions to the book. So the overwhelming majority of these beer strikes were carried out in small towns and for reasons you can discover in the book, they were more likely to be successful there. But, you know, and sometimes they got heated. Boycott breakers may have been dumped in horse troughs. Um, and after World War I, uh, right-wing loyalists kind of mobilised to, to beat up and deport um, beer strike organisers from various towns in northern Queensland, but the beer strikers kind of per persevered and won better wages. Um, but for the most part, they were kind of pretty peaceful, relatively good-natured, generally very kind of successful actions. So when I first approached that topic... I could see, you know, from having looked on Trove and stuff that, you know, there was a certain amount of these things that had happened. But as I got more into it, I realised there were actually hundreds of these boycotts that happened across Australia, which made them a real part of regional life. Uh, and some of them were very huge and involved tens of thousands of drinkers, maybe more, during World War II. And there were citywide um, beer strikes, which lasted weeks and months in Brisbane in 1918, and around uh, Western Australia in 1925. So a handful of these beer strikes and boycotts had been covered by historians, but the phenomenon was largely forgotten. So this book kind of gave me the impetus to, to 
kind of dig into it. I don't know how important it is in the, <laughs> in the grander scheme of things, but it was certainly interesting to dig out the information and I hope you find it interesting too. And so as the co-editor of this book, I'm really pleased to say that the topic of alcohol um, clearly inspired our other contributors to do kind of similar work and think about you know, similar things. So they've dug up a heap of aspects of Australian history that bring back into light important events uh, that perhaps have been forgotten or, you know, to demonstrate um, sort of trends and the state of society at different times and also to come up with overlooked aspects and angles on better known or more recent kind of people movements and incidents. So as a co-editor, re I really loved it as each chapter flowed in and our contributors added to more to my knowledge and got me thinking about uh, different and new aspects of Australian history. You're listening to Stick Together as we bring you a weekly show of union news, weekly issues and social justice. All right, keeping the show on the road, Dr Jess Sparrow is a writer, editor and broadcaster, a former editor of Overland Literary Journal. He now works at the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne. His books include Crime Against Nature, Capitalism and Global Heating, Provocations, New and Selected Writing and the forthcoming 12 Rules for Strife, a collaboration with artist Sam Warman. Welcome, Jess Sparrow. Thanks for that, um, Alex. Uh, this book has had um, more launches than NASA. Uh, I'm pleased to say that I was attending the Canberra event, and I know that there are some people here who are also at that event, so I'll try not to repeat myself, and I, hopefully I won't keep you um, too long. But since then, I've had the opportunity to actually read the book at... Um, uh, which I hadn't done before, and can I say, it's, um, it's a cracker. It's a book that begins by talking about convicts and rum and ends by talking about fascists and beer and thus covers more or less the entirety of Australian culture. <laughs> but I was particularly glad when I was reading it to look at uh, Alex's accounts of early Australian socialism a chapter in which he talks about the visit of the great English socialist Tom Mann to Australia. When Mann was travelling around the country, whipping up great enthusiasm, recruiting people to the Victorian Socialist Party, his enemies spread a story that Mann had been charged in England with selling adulterated beer in the pub that he owned. And I like that story because you could not get a more perfect image of sort of proletarian perfidy than selling watered-down beer to, to, to workers. And actually, in fact, this is a charge with a long history. If you look at the Code of Hammurabi, 1700 BC, in which the Babylonians laid out their system of law and justice, one of the offences that they list is in fact pertaining to tavern keepers who uh, cheat work, cheat uh, customers 
out of the beer that they buy. In the Code of Hammurabi, the penalty for uh, selling adulterated beer is in fact death. <laughs> Mind you, in the Code of Hammurabi, the penalty for just about everything is, is, is death. But it also goes to how seriously the ancients took their beer. I don't know if anyone's read the uh, epic of Gilgamesh, but at one point in that, uh, in that Sumerian story, uh, one of the, the Sumerian gods tries to tell Gilgamesh that he should not be uh, searching for the secret of eternal life, but in fact should satisfy himself with mortal pleasures. One of the mortal pleasures that the gods tell him that he should satisfy himself with is drinking beer. And again, it's such a perfect image. You can imagine Gilgamesh saying, yeah, I'm going to go out there and find the secret of eternal life. And someone's saying, nah, mate, stay home, have the, have the beer instead. <laughs> and it also goes to the importance of alcohol in the ancient world. In fact, some anthropologists say that in the Fertile Crescent, the transition from hunter-gatherer societies to agriculture was inspired not by a desire to produce food, but by a desire to brew beer, with the first crops being barley and hops and, and so on and so forth. And the reason why I mention that is it goes to one of the major themes of the book. This eternal question for the left, is alcohol progressive or is alcohol reactionary? Because, you know, from a sort of Marxist perspective, you can think about that transition from hunter-gatherer society, agriculture, you say, well, okay, expanding the productive forces, this is good, leading to the formation of classes in the state, this is bad. And again and again, when you think about alcohol, the same problem comes up. The other example that came to my mind was to do with uh, British sailors. I'm sure you've probably heard the argument that um, the British sailing vessels were sort of precursors to the modern factory. These tremendously complicated machines, sailors were paid wages, so early wage labourers. They're on sea, they're, they're sailing across the Atlantic for months at a time and intense class conflicts were fought between the officers and the men. Those class conflicts were again and again mediated through alcohol. So in the 17th century, it became established that every seaman would be allowed a certain allocation of alcohol. And when I say allowed a certain allocation of alcohol, I mean that before 12, the entire ship's company would line up, 10 o'clock or 11 in the morning, and everybody on the ship would be given half an imperial pint of rum. So that's essentially about half a bottle of modern spirits. I worked it out about uh, nine standard drinks, 10 o'clock in the morning, and then up the rigging in, in an Atlantic gale to sail ship for the rest of the day. So, you know, um, the, the British Admiralty eventually realised this was perhaps suboptimal to have their ships crewed by basically functional alcoholics. But, uh, you know, as late as the, the 19th century, the, the thirst of the British seamen was so well known that when... Um, 
at the Battle of Trafalgar when uh, Nelson was killed, his uh, colleagues decided they would bring him back to England for a public funeral. And in order to facilitate that, they would put him in a barrel and fill the barrel up with brandy so that his body would be in good condition to be displayed. And a persistent rumour circulated that by the time the ship had got back to England, the sailors had bored a hole in the barrel and drunk all of the brandy. So again, I put it to you, we can understand this in two ways, as an act of class struggle in which these sailors had shown their antipathy to the ruling class on the ship by essentially sucking them dry. Or alternatively, we can understand this as an illustration of how much alcohol had degraded the sailors that they were prepared to drink the uh, brandy in which Admiral Nelson had been pickled. Now, I don't propose to settle that question for you, but I would suggest if you want to think about the role of alcohol in human history, then this book is a tremendous resource with which to start. I, I mean, I, I said in the Canberra launch that we can think about um, Henry Lawson's famous passage about how beer is something that makes you feel how you should feel when you don't have beer. And we can interpret that to say that beer is in some ways a source of conviviality, a source of sociality, and in some ways a precursor of the better society that we are trying to make. So. And so uh, progressive. Alternatively, however, the other way I'm understanding um, Lawson's dictum is that beer is something that gets in the way of the kind of society that we want to make. So instead of building a better society, we drink ourselves stupid instead. So I don't mean to um, settle that question for you, but I would suggest that in this book we have a huge variety of authors tackling that question and it's of more than historic interest. It's not simply that alcohol still plays a very important role in Australian life, but similar arguments can be made about the role of drugs, but also say the role of religion and the role of sport. In both, in all of those um, issues, the same kinds of questions emerge. And I think this book, it's full of funny stories, it's full of humorous anecdotes, but it's also a serious resource for people who are trying to tackle those questions. So that's about all I want to say. I would just finish by suggesting that, um, unlike the beer in Tom Mann's pub, this book is not watered down, it's not adulterated, it is full-strength radicalism. You're not going to be cheated if you buy it. It's full of uh, uh, high-potency content, so... Buy a copy for yourself and shout one to one of your comrades. Thanks, Jeff. This is Dr. Julie Kimber to officially launch the book, Knocking the Top Off, A People's History of Alcohol in Australia. There are, of course, too many stories here to touch on. They cover the gamut from bushranging, music scenes, protest movements, commemorative celebrations to the reclamation of pubs as safe spaces, to contemporary threats confronting bar staff. Each of the entries in this magnificent collection 
is provides an evocative window into the changing dynamics of Australian society. I pay tribute to Alex and to Ian for bringing this collection together and for demonstrating the value of looking through the lens of drink to tell a people's history. And it is my great, very great pleasure to at last, sorry about that long thing, say that in Melbourne at least, we know there's a million of these, the book is launched. You've been listening to Stick Together on your local community radio station, or perhaps you've been listening to a podcast. We've been listening to some audio from the Melbourne book launch of the book, Knocking the Top Off, A People's History of Alcohol in Australia. And we've heard from speakers Alex Etling, Ian McIntyre and Jeff Sparrow. I've been your host, James Brennan. If you want to catch up on any other episodes of Stick Together, go to the 3CR website or wherever you normally listen to podcasts. And to close out today's show, we're going to hear from Irish folk singer Lisa O'Neill with her song All the Tired Horses from her 2022 album of the same name. Uh, She's got a new album out this year as well and is actually touring Australia soon. So if you're listening to this hot off the press, you've got a chance to go and see her early in 2024. Hope you enjoy it and thanks for listening. Until next time, stick together. In the sun, how am I supposed to get any rider done? All the tired horses in the sun, how am I supposed to get any rider
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.